Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. I remember in the schoolyard being called like but never really and quite knowing what that was, I just knew that it was bad. Mm. And I didn't know that I didn't really, I guess I kind of knew I liked boys, but I didn't acknowledge that until I was 18. Mm. And because there was something wrong with those words they were calling me, I kind of was like, well, that's not me. Mm. So I never kind of quite got there with the association. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. Today we are joined by the ridiculously entertaining Courtney Act, a drag queen, entertainer and singer who has graced television screens across not just Australia, but around the world. In this episode, we talk about it all, from Courtney's schooling experience in Brisbane as Shane Jenick to how Courtney Act came to life. We also cover why drag is such an important part of her identity, as well as her time on Australia. Australian Idol, Big Brother UK and RuPaul's Drag Race. Zara and I had a stupid amount of fun speaking to Courtney in Sydney earlier this month and we hope you have just as much fun listening to it. Here's Courtney. Courtney Act, welcome to Shameless. Hi, thanks for having me. You are just like a bundle of energy and I love it. Sometimes we sit down and people get a little bit nervous. You are like, I'm here, I'm ready, I've done my prep, let's go. I shouldn't be a bundle of energy because I am quite hungover. (laughs) Are you? Which we can get to if you like. I would love to get there. (laughs) We've tried to do recordings ourselves a little bit hungover and we just become completely illiterate. We become giddy. Yeah, yeah, it's giddiness. I feel like almost like I've got the shakes. (laughs) Why are you hungover? Well, I think... I figured, you know, this podcast is called Shameless, so I thought I'd start out with a little bit of shame because the best way to bring about shamelessness is to shine a light on the shame. Oh, I love this it. is an amazing start. Right? Like, sure. Tell us about it. Um, so last night I went out and got drunk with my friends at the Beresford and then I, look, yes, this is a part of the releasing of shame. I'm not going to slut shame myself. I met a handsome young gentleman, went back to his house 
except then my friends were staying at my house, which I kind of forgot in my drunken state. And then... Oh, that sucks. You're that friend. Yeah, I'm that friend. (laughs) Wait, it gets better. And I woke up not long after I had fallen asleep and put my clothes back on and went to sneak out. And I was looking around and I was like, wait, I've been here before. And then... I couldn't get out. The front door was like locked and it was like a fire trap. And then I was like, no, I've been here. I'm like, oh, this is my friend's house. And I looked and my Wi-Fi was already connected to their Wi-Fi. Oh my goodness. And um, so I messaged my friend and he was like, oh, we don't live there anymore. And I'm like, why do they still have your Wi-Fi? Do you want me to steal it before I I leave? I'll take your modem. (laughs) Yeah. And he gave me instructions on how to like break out of the house. He's like, oh yeah, we always had a problem with that. You always had to like let people out. So I had to like get a chair, drag it to the garage, stand on the chair, push the button for the roller door and then wait for it to go up and off so that when I push it, I could Indiana Jones my You're way like out of there. Yeah. And this was all this morning. This was all oh, like at 1am this morning. I'd oh love for goodness. like, I want like a rating on the whole night and the man that you met. How do we, how does he stack up? Like, was it a good experience? <laughs> well... I feel like I don't want to give him a rating in fear that he might <laughs> he might somehow hear this. Um, and But then I got home. I was walking home. I walked home. Did I walk home? No, I walked some of the way. I walked past Hungry Jack's and they have like a vegan Whopper. And I was like, yes. And I was like, no, Mardi Gras in three weeks. Don't do it. And then I got in a taxi and... I got home and my friend Mitch, who was staying with me, was asleep on the footpath out the front of my building. Oh, that's so sad. I was like, I'm so sorry, Mitch. And I woke him up and took him upstairs. This is amazing because this podcast interview would have to be on the top of your list of the things you'd prefer to do least this morning (laughs) on a Monday morning after that. Well, now that I'm here, like when I woke up, actually when I woke up, I think I was a bit like still festively drunk. (laughs) And then right before I left the house, I was like, oh, God. Fuck these guys. Yeah. But now that I'm here, it's fine. It's the getting here that's the hard bit. I have no doubt. Courtney, we start every episode in the same way. Not surprisingly with stories like that, but we we enjoyed it all the same. What are you reading, watching or listening to at the moment that you Um, would recommend? I'm currently reading Homo Deus. Which is the follow-on from Sapien. Yes. Mm-hmm. Did you read Sapiens as I well? I did, yeah. And I really liked it. When I say reading it, I'm literally in the middle of reading it, as in I've been reading it for like at least three months because I, I really like reading it, but I keep getting distracted by life. Mm-hmm. And what am I watching? I just started watching a few things on Netflix. My friend Marco Marco, who makes my costumes, is on this Netflix show called Next in Fashion. Oh, I haven't heard of that. Yeah, it is, just came out. Is this the one with Alexa Chung? Yes. Oh, my God. And it she, seems amazing. Actually, I tuned into the show for Marco, but I stayed for Alexa. She yeah. is so cool and so natural. And, like, as someone who sometimes hosts TV shows, I was so inspired by her. She was just, like, there's something about her. She just embodied cool. And yeah. Is she charismatic? What is she's it about so her? She's so charismatic. She's, like, she's... What is it? She's a little bit... She's glamorous, but she's not trying to be glamorous. She's tomboyish, but she's... She's like... She just... There's something like cool. I can't work out what it is. She's perfect. It's like everywhere. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Like she she's doesn't even, perfect. That's perfection. You that's can't You is. can't nail it down. She's amazing. But it's yeah. perfection without trying. It's like the effortlessness yeah. side of it where it feels so hard for everyone else. But for her, it's just how she like is. And you don't even hate her for it though. No, that's the best it's part. It's so annoying, but it's not. I'm like... I just feel like I want to be your friend. I think you'd be like... She's just cool. I love that. Yeah. All right, Courtney, our second question is always the same as well, and it is, what were you like as a kid? Tell us about your childhood. I was very theatrical. Some might say flamboyant. I used to just 
go around the house singing and dancing and having a good time. And mum asked me maybe at about age five if I wanted to like go to singing and dancing lessons and I did and yeah I just I think as a child I was just very happy to be there and just enjoyed not so much performing for others but just like in my own little world I remember getting sent outside you know at school for misbehaving and having to sit outside and just entertaining myself by blowing fog on the window and like drawing pictures (laughs) like I was always very content just to like do whatever by myself. Did you enjoy school? I did. I really loved primary school. And then in grade six, I went to a private school because I was going to go over there for high school and I hated it. And I refused to go back in high school. And then I went back to public school for high school. But by then, that kind of two years away from all of the people that you grew up with, everyone had sort of changed Mm -hmm. and they were all like teenage delinquents by the time I got back to grade eight. And so it was... High school was a challenge. Was it a feeling of not fitting in? Yeah, definitely. And just being, like, different from the other boys. And I think I took sanctuary in the library. I was a library monitor. And then when the Spice Girls happened in 1996, that was my my gateway to the popular girls. I became one of the popular girls in 1996. I even had a pair of buffalo boots. Oh, I'm wearing a pair right now. Oh, my God, amazing. My ones in... It's like a Bratz doll. (laughs) (laughs) My ones in the 90s were much more... These are quite subdued. I'm currently wearing like a, what would you call that, sand, beige, coloured buffalo boot but the ones in the 90s had reflectors on them and they were like four inches high oh the platform ones yeah the big platform ones and against I mean it made no sense like you were just asking for trouble by doing that (laughs) but then I also had braces and headgear like a full jock strap what a look headgear which I didn't have to wear to school but I chose to and mum was like honey I'm I, I know it's your choice, but are you sure you really want to wear your headgear to school? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, okay. I mean. Why was that, do you reckon? Well, I do remember the orthodontist said that the more you wear it, the quicker you get it off. So I just, back then I wasn't motivated by short-term gratification. I had a what goal a, in the what future. What a child. Right? <laughs> and then also I think I liked any opportunity to be picked on that wasn't about me. So it was like an external thing that people were picking on. So it was, was like, like a deflection or something. Yeah. And so like I had a lot of a lot of things that were me but I could attribute bullying to. Everything that I had was the opposite of what other kids had. Like if kids had soft pencil cases, I had like a hard pencil case. They had a wooden ruler. I had a metal ruler. I used different kinds of pens. I had like a manicure kit with cuticle oil and a nail file and the Vaseline Intensive Care pink hand cream. That's better than me because when I was in high school, I used to use whiteout to do my manicure. Ah. And sticky tape. (laughs) Oh, oh, sticky tape. That's smart. It didn't look good. (laughs) To stop the spillage, do you mean? No, sticky tape because I tried to do a little French manicure. Did nobody do this? No, I did. (laughs) I used to get the pencil whiteout or like a pen one. Uh, It was horrendous. What were your earliest memories of exploring drag as a young person? In 1990, it was, a, it was post-Priscilla. It was probably around the year Priscilla came out, which must have been like 95. Mm. I was on a tour around southeast Queensland. So I went to this place called the Fame Talent Agency and Theatre Company, which is like a singing, dancing, and acting school, after school. And at Christmas time, we would go on these regional tours where we would... You know, like at school, when you would 
go to watch somewhat educational performance, mm. like arts council or those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But I was doing those. It was like a big troupe of 40 of us who were touring around Southeast Queensland. And the show was called The Spirit of Christmas. And it was the rap party. And I think we were probably in like Rockhampton or Billawheeler or Emerald. And my friend Scott and I got dressed up in the girls' bikinis and we somehow found some wigs and put on some lipstick and lip-synced to I don't care if the sun don't shine, I get my loving in the evening time. And that was that was the, the beginning of it, Where I'd it say. Where it all began. Yeah. But I was always dressing up as something at fame. Like, it was always a mouse in Cinderella or a dwarf in Snow White, which you probably can't do now, Tweedledum in Alice in Wonderland. So I was always dressing up. So when I started drag, it was just putting on different clothes. It didn't Mm. seem that odd. You just touched on it then that you did grow up in Queensland. Mm. And, I mean, I'm from Victoria, Melbourne, so it's quite a progressive area. I do wonder, it's renowned in Melbourne. Queensland is renowned as being one of the more conservative areas in the Mm. whole country did you feel that growing up did you ever feel that process of othering or I actually only realized in the last few months that Queensland is like the Florida of Australia which is not a compliment sorry (laughs) Queensland it's kind of like I didn't realize how conservative it was I didn't realize that uh, that Queensland even had this sort of reputation nationally but now looking back I can see that I mean, it's hard because I didn't know what the other states were like, but it was definitely pretty oppressive, I think. So, yeah, it was all, it was about sport. It was very sport-oriented. Mm. And, yeah, you had to sort of be a man even at age 14, which makes no sense because 14-year-olds aren't men, mm. really. So, yeah, I did find that was a bit of a struggle. Do you think that you didn't feel that as much because your family managed to insulate you? Like, did you come from a very supportive, progressive family? Yeah, mum and dad were amazing, are still, and... I also had the sanctuary, I've used that word twice now, the sanctuary of It's beautiful though, it's a great way to fix it. (laughs) Of fame. So every Wednesday afternoon I would go to this place where fame the place, not fame the experience. (laughs) The social construct. (laughs) (laughs) So every Wednesday afternoon I would go there and I would just be amongst people who were like me. All the boys at fame were the same and mum and dad never really attributed my difference to my sexuality or my gender it was just who I was my sister who's 10 years older she was more into like jujitsu and more I suppose typically masculine things and I was into performance and yeah mum and dad were very supportive and offered that sort of safe place at home and at fame I also had a safe place so at school I just sort of clung to the Spice Girls and my buffalo boots and I don't know, like, I remember in the schoolyard being called, like, faggot and poofta, but never really quite knowing what that was. I just knew that it was bad. Mm. And I didn't know that I didn't really, I guess I kind of knew I liked boys, but I didn't acknowledge that until I was 18. Mm. And because there was something wrong with those words they were calling me, I kind of was like, well, that's not me. Mm. So I never kind of quite got there with the association. I heard you say in an interview that you did last year that your first sexual experiences were with women in that you kind of had girlfriends through high school and experienced that and then you moved to Sydney and that was kind of your sexual awakening in many ways. What was that like? Was that a process of confusion to move into state away from your family, 18 is quite young, and then think, oh, fuck, there's this whole other world out there and I kind of love it? Yeah. No, I think it was the opposite to confusing. It was like enlightening because I do like girls, but not the same 
that I like boys. Mm. And so in school, it wasn't disingenuous when I had crushes on girls. And it wasn't a repulsive thing to be like, oh, I'm having sex with a girl. Like, I enjoyed it. But then when I got to Sydney, I was like, oh, okay, there's all of this as well. And that sort of made a lot more sense. And... Yeah, it's. I think it was kind of enlightening just realising that there was more than just suburban Brisbane. Tell us how Courtney Act came to life. Well. Is this the question you get asked all the time? Kind of. Sorry. <laughs> well, like right. it had to happen. <laughs> <laughs> if, if one of you wants to Google that question and then I'll just say exactly what it says verbatim. <laughs> Basically, it was New Year's Eve 2001 and we were going to a circuit party in Melbourne called Magnitude. And does that ring any bells to Like, not at all. I mean, only because I listened to you say this in another interview. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that sounds cool. (laughs) And, yeah, my friend Linda, who, I guess she's a has-been now. She was a lesbian. She, I think she had a crush on me and she had this idea that I would make a pretty girl. And I loved all the drag queens. I was friends with all the drag queens in Sydney. And I think going to Melbourne was kind of like a safe way to try it out without having to do it in front of all your friends oh so it's like i don't really know many people here i can yeah. give it a go and not be judged or not yeah. do it wrong or something yeah ah. because there's a thing with drag back then especially it's very different now where you didn't it wasn't like something that you welcomed people into it was kind of like a closed club in a way and you had to fight your way into it ah. and we didn't have youtube or tutorials or anything so to do it there's like quite a level of process involved in makeup and wigs and hair like now you can you can work it all out you can go to the shop you can buy makeup that will work on a face back then it, you couldn't the makeup that was sold in shops didn't didn't work mm. for drag and so um we yeah so i went to melbourne i got my makeup done at like a makeup counter napoleon sorry <sighs> Out of business now. Sorry, yeah. Napoleon. Um, yeah. Such a like 90s and early noughties company though. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing about drag makeup is it's not girls' makeup on a boy's face. Mm. It's That's sometimes the objective to make it look like girls' makeup, but you can't just put girls' makeup on a boy's face. Otherwise, you, I just look like a boy wearing girls' makeup, which anyway, there's, there is a logic there. And so I got all dressed up. I went out and I had such a fun night and... Even though I looked a bit like a bastard, I just wore my sunglasses all night. So as long as you've got a wig, lipstick and sunglasses, you're fine. <laughs> you're done. You're, you're done. You're done. Out the door. And yeah, it was just a really fun night. And then we flew back to Sydney in the morning and then my BFF Vanity Fair put me in drag properly for a party we went to that night in Sydney at the Metro called Frisky. And yeah, so it was like... Just couldn't, couldn't, same outfit, same hair, same shoes, same everything, probably the same underwear. <laughs> um, <laughs> Delightful. Yeah. And yeah, it was just, that was, I guess, the beginning. It was just so much fun. Did you feel like you had accessed a different part of yourself? What is it that you love so much about being caught in the act? I didn't know at the time, but now reflecting back, I realized that it was an opportunity and a safe space for me to express femininity, which there was no space for as a boy. And for many years, that sort of remained compartmentalised, where it was Shane on one side and Courtney on the other. And I was really scared of the idea of androgyny. I justified drag as being a job and 
didn't really ever acknowledge that there was a real enjoyment of expression that came from it. I thought, I'm a performer. I'm doing this job like I would if I was in a musical wearing a costume. But, yeah, it wasn't until, like, 2004? No, 2014. Sorry. Skipped a decade. (laughs) (laughs) That I really came to terms with my gender identity intersecting with my drag identity, I suppose, where it was more than just a job. It was that I really enjoyed expressing femininity. And for a long time, all through my 20s, that manifested as sort of confusion about my gender and thinking that maybe I was trans because I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm not a man, therefore I must be a woman. It was like the default, the opposite of the binary. Where I was like, okay, well, if I'm not this, then I'm this. And so for a long time, I would struggle with that idea because whilst it part of that felt true, it didn't feel like the whole truth. Mm. And it wasn't until I found out that it was okay for boys to be feminine and girls to be masculine that I was able to embrace the middle ground and not be so shameful about, yeah, gender sort of gender expression that varied from the norm. So you kind of had to like smash the prism of gender that you had in your head to just accept what you were. Yeah, and it's so weird that even despite doing drag then for like 15 years, that it still was a prison or a cage in my mind. Like I was doing drag, but I still couldn't understand that it was okay for boys to be feminine. Mm. I just had this place where I was a boy who could be feminine and I was able to justify it through some other sort of weird social construct of acceptability. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because it speaks to how much we internalise like messages around us, no matter how much we're actively trying to push back on them. I also find this timeline quite interesting because in 2003 you went on Australian Idol, also known mm-hmm. as the world's best TV show, particularly Aww. at that point. I used to vote all the time. <laughs> and it, clearly you'd only been in drag for, what, two years? You'd only been in Courtney Act for about two years by that point what was the decision to say you know what I'm not just going to be drag amongst my Sydney community or my friends but I'm going to put this on a public stage where I imagine it wasn't everywhere no it certainly wasn't especially back then there was no other sort of visibly queer people in the in the media space I remember like in the 90s watching Carlotta on Beauty and the Beast I would stay home from school just so that I could watch that show because I loved it and I remember like Bob Down popping up on Good Morning Australia with Bert Newton maybe once in the 90s and that was literally the extent of queer visibility in Australia at that time. Mm. We didn't really know what reality television was. It was the first idol. The internet kind of didn't exist like it does now. We didn't have social media and it just was this thing that was from overseas that people were talking about that was going to be big and popular and I was like that sounds like fun I'm going to go along so I auditioned the first day as Shane and went back the next day as Courtney and I remember because there's producers auditions before the TV auditions and I remember getting through as Shane for the producers auditions and I had that moment where I was like maybe this is this is your big break this is your chance maybe you shouldn't come back in drag tomorrow as planned maybe you should just go as a boy pretend that the drag never existed and this will be your pathway to stardom. Wow. And I was like, nah, you idiot. That's not going to work. Like there's way too many. There was a real paranoia surrounding the drag identity being a negative. And in my mind, I was like, there's too many photographs that exist of me in drag. Like I'll be found out. I'll be outed publicly. It's so hard to think about now. Hard as in like, it's so 
strange to think that I felt that way at some point. So closeted about it. So closeted about it. And now I couldn't imagine my life without it. Like I thought that it was a weakness, but ultimately it's the most amazing strength. It's like a superpower. How do you look back on that experience of Australian Idol? Do you feel positively about it? And how was the reception? I mean, you probably were, I imagine, really quite anxious about coming out to the world. And I mean, coming out, it's not even the right (laughs) term, is it? But like announcing yourself as Courtney Act to the world, did your anxiety match up with reality in the end? Do you know, I actually didn't even think about it. From that, the minute that I made the decision to come back the next day and drag, I can't remember any anxiety or fear about, I was naive. I didn't know that I should be ashamed of doing drag or in the in a public space. Like I was already doing it. So even though there was like some weird paranoia about strategy, there was no anxiety or or shame about actually being myself. And I think in some weird way maybe that's why it was so well received because I wasn't there with a chip on my shoulder about my identity I was just there having a good time and I think people saw that and you know in particular Dicko really responded to me in drag and I think he created a space where Australian men in particular but Australians in general were allowed to accept me because he accepted me and I attribute a lot of that to him you know growing up in the UK because they have a very different relationship with gender and sexuality and drag and camp and masculinity in the UK it feels a lot more healthy over there you can be a man and still be valuable even if you're not a sportsman or mask you can be intelligent you can be funny you can be anything you have to be good at it but you yeah. can still don't be shit. <laughs> don't be shit at it. But you you can be valuable for other things in the UK other than being masculine if you're a man. And I think Dicko really appreciated what I was doing and saw it through the lens of of his upbringing and celebrated that and that created a space for Australia to get on board. It's been 17 years since then. It seems like such a remarkable amount of time. But I'm interested if you ever look back about the impact of that time of being one of the first openly queer people on national television, on reality TV, and having that space publicly. Do you ever consider that? It's interesting because I I guess intellectually I know that's a statistic or a, a thing. And I do have a lot of people come up to me and say even now people will come up and be like oh my god I remember coming out to my parents because we were watching you on Idol or I remember you know explaining my identity to my parents because of watching you on Idol and uh, or dad made a comment like oh she's pretty hot and then oh, dad that's actually a bloke and then that entered into a conversation so I guess I intellectually know that I don't I don't quite understand it's you can't really be objective from such a personal experience but it's a cool thought that I was the and I think my motivation for my whole career has been to be the person that I needed when I was 14 and Mm. didn't really see anybody and so that kind of fits in with that goal so that's an amazing thing if that's if it has that impact. Coming up after the break, why Courtney identifies as an introvert despite her absolute love for the stage. But first, a word from today's wonderful sponsor. You've proven to be incredibly popular amongst not just Australians, but also people from the UK and Americans as well. You came 
runner-up on RuPaul's Drag Race, runner-up on Dancing with the Stars Australia, mm-hmm. and then you've won Celebrity yeah. Big Brother UK, which is fucking wild, by the way. <laughs> like, you're the most popular of the celebrities. That fucking blows my mind. Awkward question for you, but I'm genuinely curious. What do you think it is about you that people so naturally gravitate towards? Because this is not a fluke that you're coming so close to winning or winning all of these major reality shows around the world. Well, it's I think, one, I'm persistent. <laughs> um, two, I think in the UK, as opposed to the US, I think Celebrity Big Brother is you've got, I don't know, many more hours of television per week to fill. It's on air for like more than an hour a day. And so you get to see a real, they're desperate for content, basically. (laughs) So they put any old conversation that you have on television. Whereas Drag Race is filmed over like six weeks, a year in advance. It's edited together to create this brilliant, glossy, two-dimensional kind of show. And I don't mean that as an insult at all. It's like you get a catchphrase and you get you know a moment that happens and you 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 fall in love with all of these people through your 42 minutes of television a week because it's so reductive in a oh god I'm using words that sound negative it's manicured yeah it's manicured and it's you get to fall in love with each person in a really sort of two-dimensional way because mm. you're like oh my god I know who that person is they've got a catchphrase I know what their archetype is and you respond to that Whereas Big Brother is, there's so much more television that they're putting all of these conversations on. And you don't know when you're in there what they're airing and what people are responding to. So whilst people might think that you can be considered in what you portray, I think you can either be yourself or you can just minimise yourself. I don't think you can really construct what you're going to do. I don't know. Well, I didn't. I was just having conversations with people and saw opportunities to either be an ally to somebody like India Willoughby, who's a trans woman who, funnily and ironically enough, is not an ally to the queer community, and just sort of help to mediate or explain the difference between drag and the trans identity or explaining sexuality or even like non-queer topics like debating with you know, a very, very conservative politician, Anne Whittacombe, on women's rights or a woman's right to choose what happens to her body or the Me Too movement, which she called a snowflakery. And How do you go with conversations like that? Do you feel affronted or offensive? Because or, I struggle having conversations with really conservative people. Yeah, it's hard, especially when I know the talking points, but it's not something that I debate on the regular, mm. especially a politician who, you know, she's in parliament for 23 years. Like her job was to debate these topics and relentlessly without wavering in opinion. And so it was very challenging. But I just, I kept in my mind that whilst I wasn't going to change her mind, that there was people who were watching who might hear a different side of the story. Mm. So I didn't see that there was any point and I mean, I don't generally say there's any point in getting aggressive or frustrated or yelling because it just polarizes the issue even more. And I've always thought that sort of walking to the middle, having a chat, a reasonable as possible chat is the most effective way in, in understanding somebody and therefore fostering empathy in yourself and possibly in them as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, it can be frustrating. I also think I, I do have a real level of privilege where, you know, my family loves me, 
I, I've had, you know, I've had my ups and downs, but my identity quite often labels an identity as strong as where trauma is present. And I think because I don't have that trauma associated with my identity and what I did have, I was able to deconstruct. Yeah, there's no, I'm not approaching it from a, a trauma sort of place. I'm able to just stand there on my own two feet and have the conversation and not feel like it's an attack on me. I'm interested when you feel or where you feel like the most you, like who are you with, what are you doing and how are you expressing yourself given all of these sort of TV shows particularly have done it all very different public experiences. Yeah. I'd say the place I feel the most myself is when I'm by myself. I think we all have different versions of ourselves that we, you know, whether it's with our family or our friends or our co-workers, I have different versions of myself. Like when I'm with, you know, my BFF Vanity, who I've been friends with for 20 years, I'm one type of myself. But I'm also not my whole self because I'm aware that there are parts of my identity and parts of Vanity's identity in our friendship that work and parts that don't Mm. kind of thing and I think you don't have to be it's interesting because it's like it's not about minimizing or or having any shame about any part of my identity it's more that like this is what our friendship is and this is how it works and we are like brothers and we have so much fun but then you know my when I'm with my mum or my dad then I'm a different side of myself and that's also you know just as real and then when I'm on stage Being on stage is interesting because whilst you're in a room of thousands of people, you're also completely alone. And so I do feel like myself in that respect. Would you call yourself an introvert? I think so. I don't know. Interesting. People people always talk about that like, I'm an extroverted introvert or I'm a this or. And I'm (laughs) like, I definitely like being by myself. I definitely don't, weirdly, I definitely don't like being the center of attention unless it's my job to be or like I have a, a stage or a space. Like it's like I'm, a role to play. Yeah. I don't like, I think it's, I think I feel that in a public space, everybody's equal. And for me to draw attention to myself kind of goes against that idea of equality in some weird way. Mm. If I'm on stage, I'm like, oh, this is my stage. This is where I get to perform it's warranted for everybody to look at me right now. And I, and I love being on stage. It's probably my favourite thing to do. I don't know, when people call attention to me in a public setting or if someone, if you're in a group of people, like last night at a bar, in a group of people and someone's like, oh, this is Courtney, you know, Courtney Act. And you sort of you feel like you shrink a little bit because in a way you feel like that person is putting you on a pedestal or like making you different from everybody else. And I think my real goal is to actually weirdly try and be the same or to be equal, maybe not the same. Totally. What's your relationship with fame like? Because you are very famous in many countries now. (laughs) You have over a million followers on Instagram. I do. How do you feel about being famous? If I could choose not to have fame and get to do what I love, I would definitely choose that. It's kind of like a it's like a byproduct of getting to do what I love. And it's an important byproduct that, you know, the more famous I am, the more I get to do shows with bigger budgets to bigger audiences with prettier costumes and bigger bands. And that's what I love doing. So I also and I also acknowledge that being known 
gives me the ability to have a voice and I try and use that voice to raise awareness in a space where there isn't necessarily always much. Like on reality television, it's not really always very highbrow necessarily. Some of it can be, but it's, yeah, I sort of see it as like a tool to, I guess, be an agent of change as much as I can be without sounding douchey, but also just getting to do what I love. It's so interesting that you are talking about, you know, wanting to be an agent of change and use your voice, because at what point do you also feel sometimes exhausted by that responsibility or that it's starting to take a toll and that you need to step back? Do you feel that sort of balance or how do, how do you manage it? I think because it's my passion. Like my job is me, which sounds like it could get draining, but everything like there's no there's no hard line between who I am when I wake up and who I am on stage. It's all just like a gradual progression of me. And everything I do, whether it's watching a TV show or reading a book, it all is playing into the output of Courtney Act. So, like, I've just finished writing my new show, which is called Fluid, which is at the Darlinghurst Theatre from the 21st to the 28th. You know, we were going to do that for you. (laughs) We're also going to put links to go get tickets in the show notes as well. And in Darwin, I can't forget Darwin. And I'll be back in Australia to tour it around the rest of the country. Darwin I know. No one ever goes to Darwin. Darwin always gets forgotten. Yeah. So I'm excited to go to Darwin at the Darwin Entertainment Centre on the 8th of March. But yeah, I've been writing this show and it's, I mean, it's a, I guess it's essentially a cabaret. It's like a live band, but it's all stories about me and so even things like last night's drunken escapade <laughs> sexcapade <laughs> is part of my public output I mean I told the story here so it's kind of interesting like how it all sort of folds into one I think that sometimes I and just lately probably more than ever I was walking along the other day and I was like oh, I feel homesick and then I was like wait, am I homesick for London? Am I homesick for LA? Am I homesick for Sydney? And I was like, oh, I don't know where home is anymore. And it was kind of a bit sad. But then also I made choices about what I want to do and I realised that it's not forever Mm. and that there will be, hopefully, stability in the future. (laughs) And so, yeah, I, I guess I acknowledge certain sacrifices that come with my lifestyle but I I'm kind of happy I would like to just be in one place and like fall in love and stuff like that but there's no time for that now so overrated anyway (laughs) um Mardi Gras coming up this weekend you are hosting the coverage for SBS tell us about your relationship with Mardi Gras and how whether that relationship's changed over the years or how special it is to you yeah, I'm excited to be. I'm, I'm co-hosting with Joel Creasy, Narelda Jacobs, and Zoe Coombs Ma. What a team! It'll be Quite really a fun. That's yeah. amazing. We got together and did like a promo day, and it was a lot of fun. Joel and I are kind of for a long time. It's been rumored that we are the same person. <laughs> I'm just him in drag, <laughs> but we will be occupying the same space on live national oh, television. Blow so many Mardi. Yeah. <laughs> but Mardi Gras. I first went to Mardi Gras in 2001 in drag. And I just remember from then it was this magical wonderland of diversity that I hadn't seen before. Because you, usually you would go to a gay bar where the people were somewhat in the same age bandwidth as you. 
usually the same gender, usually the same everything. And then Mardi Gras was this place where I was on the dance floor and, you know, I just, I'm horrible to go out with with friends because I'll get there with my friends and then I won't see them until the... You'll ditch them for a man whose yeah. house you can't escape yeah, out of. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then I'll find you sleeping on the footpath out the front of my house when I get home. <laughs> and I just remember that first night just buzzing about from group to group and it was there was like bears and lesbians and twinks and trans people and fetish people and like all different types of people who were all queer but I hadn't ever like I guess maybe I knew they existed because I'd seen them in the Sydney Star Observer or something like that but had never like occupied the same space with them and it was just fun to like just be 19 and probably on ecstasy and just Mm -hmm. talking to all sorts of strangers and having a great time. And over the years, I've, I don't, maybe I've missed a Mardi Gras in the last 19 years. Maybe. I definitely know I missed a Harbour Party, which is the week before Mardi Gras. So I assume I also wasn't at that Mardi Gras unless I came back. Anyway, I've performed at many. I've gone to them in drag. I've gone to them out of drag. I've stayed until the sun comes up. I've left, well, I've never left early, (laughs) but I've definitely left when it was still dark, but probably more often than not, I've left when it was daylight and it's just a fun, it's like the, it's like Christmas for Sydney gays, I think, Sydney queers. And it's that time of year that it's like coming home and seeing all your family and you literally do, you see all of these people that maybe I knew well at some point in my life and you bump into them on the dance floor and you you say hello and you have a catch-up and you watch some amazing shows. Like this year, Sam Smith is performing, Kesh is performing, Dua Lipa. It's like the ultimate festival. Yeah, except there's only... I'm not quite sure what they're doing this year because the RHI, which is the biggest pavilion at the... whatever it's called now, Entertainment Quarter is being refurbished Mm. and so I don't actually know where everyone's going to go is everyone going to be in the Horden which is a much smaller and sweatier venue (laughs) no no wait the Horden's oh I don't know but yeah I can't quite work that out but Mardi Gras has just been so much fun and a bunch of years ago maybe 2014 I became the global ambassador for Mardi Gras which I did for a few years and I don't know I just it was kind of fun to represent queer Sydney on a global stage Mm. And it's it's definitely something that I love and I've always been proud of. I think it's a wonderful festival. It's not just a parade and a party afterwards. There's fair day, there's arts, there's sports, there's all sorts of amazing events that happen over the course of two or three weeks. Mm. Courtney, I think across your lifetime so far you've influenced a lot of people in a really brilliant way and this question will sound morbid and I don't mean it that way. <laughs> I want to know, what would you like people to say about you as a person when you're gone? Hmm. One Mardi Gras actually... My friend Tim and I, I was staying at my friend Tim's house and it was Mardi Gras morning and I went to walk down his stairs and I slipped and like had my life flash before my eyes and didn't fall, like grabbed onto the railing. But he and I then went down this fantasy of like what would have happened had I died the morning of Mardi Gras. (laughs) And we were like, oh, you'd definitely be on the cover of SX. (laughs) And would they, and this was probably, I think it was pre drag race so we were like realistic about what would actually happen and it was it was kind of fun slash I don't know like a reality check where you're like I wonder if 
would anyone care? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, people miss me? Yeah. They're not going to cancel Mardi Gras because they died the morning of Mardi Gras. Are they going to like, would anyone mention it? Like, would there be a... A moment? Would there be a moment of silence for Courtney Act who died this morning? And I'm like, I don't know, oh, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. What do I want when I die? To, is that, was that the question? Mm-hmm. How, to be, how do I want to be remembered? Mm. I guess my favourite thing that people respond to is the conversations that I have, either like in the Big Brother house or the videos I make about politics or identity. I really love that. I've always been that person but it wasn't until Celebrity Big Brother that anybody cared to listen. And so Big Brother really gave me that platform where people started looking at me as someone with something to say. And I think it's very much how the world has changed as well because queer people haven't really had a seat at the table until now. And it all sort of coincided, I think, timing-wise where... I've now been given a seat at the table in the mainstream in the UK and in Australia and I get to be on news shows talking about Brexit and the NHS and I don't have to make a dick joke to be there. I still do because I like dick jokes but it's before it was always like wink, wink, nudge, nudge and and it's kind of nice to feel like you don't have to be the butt of the joke now. Comedy and performance is synonymous with drag but then to just be looked at as that becomes a bit reductive mm. and it's really lovely to feel like people are interested in hearing what I have to say and also like amplifying other people's voices and listening to what they say and sharing that with my audience who might not necessarily usually hear them or know who they are. This might be an interesting question because there might be a bunch of overlap between what Mish just asked, but we have to ask it because it's the last question we always ask. And that is to ask you, what is success to you with all of this in mind? How do you consider success in your own life? I mean, success is wanting what you have, which I think one of the things that drives us is wanting more than what we have. (laughs) Although interestingly, like with budgeting, with money, if you have a budget and you know how much you're allowed to spend and you spend it, then you're like, oh, I did my job. But if you don't have a budget, everything I would buy, I would feel guilty for buying because I'm like, oh, I should be saving. I shouldn't be spending that. And I think in a way with money, being like rich is having more money than you spend. Like if you've got money left over, then you're like, woohoo. <laughs> and I think maybe but success is a bit like that. And in my mind, there's a level of success which I haven't quite reached yet, but I think it will satiate me when I get there. And it's basically just... There's a level of financial comfort and also ability to just do what I love, which is tour around the world doing live shows. And I'm definitely on the path to that. And I kind of hope that in a couple of years I will have that sort of career where I just get to tour with ease, with, you know, people to help carry the bags (laughs) and, and get to do that. I don't know. And I guess at some point I want to stop doing that and want to retire. But for, for the for the next 10 years or so, I definitely see that I just want to tour around the world doing live shows. Courtney Act, thank you so, so much for joining us. Have fun at Mardi Gras. Thank you. Come back with more shameful or less stories, whichever yeah. ones, however you want to frame it. But thank you so much again. Thank you for having me, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Courtney Act. For more from Courtney, follow her on Instagram at 
Courtney Act. Pretty simple. We are at Shameless Podcast. If you still want some more from Courtney, I don't blame you at all. I am in the same boat. She is, of course, hosting this year's Mardi Gras this Saturday at 7.30pm. You can find it on SBS. If you enjoyed this chat, we also recommend listening to our other interviews. We have one that you'll really enjoy with Georgie Stone from earlier this year. Another one you'll enjoy is with the very glittery, very colourful M. Rusciano. I will pop the links to both of those episodes in our show notes. As for us, well, Zara and I are, of course, as I said before, on Instagram. But if you want even more, like joining both of our Facebook groups, we are at Shameless Podcast Community on Facebook or Shameless Podcast Book Club. That is all from us. We will be back in your ears on Monday with a wrap in the week of pop culture. Have a great weekend, guys. Bye. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.